Mark, chapter 8, begin reading in verse 27. Mark, chapter 8, verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Father God, thank you for this passage. I do pray that you would just help us now as we spend just a few minutes looking at it. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Lord, if this is truly the most important question that uh, any of us will ever deal with, then I pray you'd help me to make it clear. And I pray that uh, I wouldn't botch it up. Just uh, just guide today, I pray. And... Uh, Help it to be clear and accurate and practical, and help us all, Lord, to think seriously about the personal application of this to our lives. For, Lord, it is so important. So guide us, direct us, speak to us now from your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sixteen. That's the number of chapters there are in the book of Mark. Sixteen. And we are now at the very end of the eighth chapter, so we're almost exactly in the middle of the book of Mark. In the first half of the book, we've seen Jesus showing the disciples who he was in a variety of different ways, not just the disciples, but all. And now we come to this point, right in the middle, and he asks this question. Have they figured it out yet? Do they understand yet? Do they see who he is? Mark chapter 8 and verse 29 is our text. That's the question he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This question and Peter's answer to it really marked a uh, turning point now in the, in, the, in the story as told by Mark in the ministry of Jesus. It was a question here of life and death. You see, Jesus could only teach the disciples so much. He could only demonstrate who he was so much before eventually they had to make a decision. And this was decision time. It was such an important question. So important. We can't help but see his emphasis change after this question is asked. I don't know if you if you notice, if you just read ahead a little bit further. Well, actually, where we where we read there, uh, the, the starting in verse number 31, immediately after that, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Immediately after this question, his emphasis changes, and he starts teaching them about the cross, and he starts teaching them that he must die. And so it's a vital question. I asked the elders this morning, and I asked a few other people, too, what's the most important question that's ever been asked, and I, I think this might be it. Certainly the most important question that will ever, asked, ever be asked any one of us. And it is a question that all of us must deal with. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's the question that has been asked from this pulpit, from the first sermon that was preached here some 200 years ago up until now. And it's the question that's asked in every Bible-believing church. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's the one thing that delineates Bible Christianity from so many other religions on the face of the earth. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? No other question I don't think is any more important than this. Let's notice here that Jesus asked the question kind of in two pieces and two halves. First of all, he asked, who do men say that I am in verse number 27? Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Whom do, who do men say that I am, or who do others say that I am? And we look at the answer to that, and we see that there were many opinions about Jesus then, just as there are many opinions about him today. The answers that were provided then, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, verse number 28, they all indicate something, don't they? They all indicate that even though the people generally had not accepted Jesus as Messiah, nonetheless, they knew something was different about him. They knew there was something special about him. There was something beyond just uh, a mere man. What if that same question were posed today, if you were to send out Jesse Waters from Waters World and ask that question up and down the streets and highways of... uh, of America, what kind of an answer would you get? Who do people say Jesus is? People would say he was a good man. You ever heard somebody say that about him? People would say he was a martyr, died for a cause. People would say he was a teacher whose example we ought to follow and whose words we ought to learn from. Some, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, would go so far as to say he was a son of God. Some, like the adherents of Islam, would go so far as to say that he was a prophet. They accept him as that. Some would think him a tragic figure, a deluded man on a mission who died way too young. All kinds of things, all kinds of opinions would surface today just as they did then. But one thing remains just as true today as when he asked the question of his disciples there at Caesarea Philippi, and that is most answers reveal a denial of the fact that he is God. That's what is denied, even while admitting that there was something special about it. We can draw all kinds of conclusions from that, I think, but there's one I I think that just jumps out at me, and it's a very simple one. It might be so simple that we miss it, and that's this. Most of the people were wrong. Most of the people were wrong. The majority was wrong then. And it's just as wrong now. I know in our culture we're led to believe that the opinion of the majority is most likely right about a thing. We're led to believe in our culture that the the opinion of the majority is even the determinant of truth. But they were wrong. And oftentimes, maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but I think most times the majority is wrong, certainly about things. Like this, We're reminded by the error of the many regarding Jesus then and the error of the many regarding Jesus today that just because a majority of people believe it does not make it true. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? And it's an important application that needs to be made. The main lesson in this text comes from Peter's right answer. But there is a lesson from the wrong answer of the majority here. And we need to see that as right. They're not always right. The majority is actually often wrong. And the opinion of a majority does not determine what is true. We all need to think about that. If no one had confessed the truth, if no one had, if, even if Peter had not got it right, would that have made Jesus any less the Messiah? Would it have made it any less true that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Of course not. It had nothing to do with what people believed. Truth was not based on the majority. We've heard of this little animal called lemmings. How many of you have heard of a little animal called lemmings? 
I'm always fascinated by this creature. Let me read you a little something from Collier's Encyclopedia. According to them, the name lemming is a Norwegian word which means destroying and was given in reference to the ravages which occur during a migration. The migration is a remarkable phenomenon that occurs with almost calendar regularity during every fourth year. In vast numbers, they travel in almost any direction, but once on the way, they continue along a straight path. As the main group marches forward, it is joined by other groups. There are no detours or change of direction to bypass a lake or a rough, fast-flowing river, even though thousands may perish. All kinds of carnivorous mammals, including Arctic foxes, wolves, wolverines, weasels, and caribou. They say caribou. I never think of a caribou as a carnivorous animal. But predatory birds reduce their numbers. The majority of lemmings, however, die by drowning, especially if they swarm into the sea, and usually the entire horde is destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always marveled at why did God make lemmings? What? Why, why is there such a creature? And I, I often wonder if God made them just simply as an illustration to us that the majority is not always right. Following a crowd sometimes is the wrong way to go. Well, Jesus listened to the answer to the first question, who do men say that I am? He heard the majority of the opinion, but then he came right to the point and he looked them right in the eyes and he said, who do you say? You know, you ought to underline that, that, that particular part in your Bible. Who do you say? You might want to even circle the word you, because it's a personal question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, verse number 29. Now, I have visited the Holy Land four different times. Some of you have gone with me a couple of those times. Each time, the tour has included a visit to Caesarea Philippi, where this event took place. It's a place that still, to this day, feels pagan when you go there. And I confess that I've oftentimes wondered why they take us there, because it just doesn't seem to be a very nice place. There are ruins there of pagan temples, which would have been in full swing when Jesus stood here with his disciples. One set of ruins that remains there today is a temple to the god Pan. He was the god of nature and wild shepherds and flocks and goats and wine and basically everything Debauched. Everything about his, the worship of Pan was associated with sexuality and debauchery. History tells us the temple prostitutes plied their trade there at that very temple. This is place, Caesarea Philippi. It was a hotbed of idolatry and sensuality and paganism. And here, where the majority certainly would not have recognized or accepted him for who he was, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? In the midst of all of that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Now, Matthew's telling of this event adds something to that. He says that Peter actually said something even more. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16, and verse number 16. You are the anointed one. You are the prophet, the priest, the king that was foretold and promised. You are not merely a man, but actually the Son of God and God the Son. It was an amazing confession, wasn't it? Amazing. Apparently, Peter had not been such a lunkhead after all. For the last few weeks, we've been noticing how they didn't seem to get it. And yet, apparently, Peter was paying attention. We, 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 we thought they didn't get it when he fed the 5,000 and then the 4,000, and then when he calmed the sea, and then when he healed the man that was a deaf mute and uh, the blind man and all those things. And there was 
times when Jesus almost seemed to be frustrated with them. Don't you guys get this? Apparently Peter did, and he was paying attention. And now, when given a chance to listen to the opinions of the majority or to stand alone, Peter stood for the truth and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just as there's an application I think we can make from the majority's wrong answer, I think there's a pretty good application we can make from Peter's right answer. And that's another very simple application. It's this. Every one of us must answer that question. Every one of us must individually decide, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? He asks. And I think that's what makes this question that Jesus asked the most important question any of us will ever face. He asks it of all of us, and all of us will answer it. All of us must answer it. The crowd won't answer it for you. Family won't answer it for you. Friends won't answer it for you. Every one of us has to answer this question. Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? You must decide what you believe about him. Every individual must decide what they believe about his teaching. Do you believe what Jesus taught? He taught some pretty amazing things. He taught some pretty controversial things. He taught about a place called heaven. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You know, I think if people really believed in heaven, really believed in it, it would affect the way they live. Some of you are aware of the fact that I am a fan of Star Trek. How many of you are aware of that? I might have mentioned it a time or two. There is a Star Trek movie... Did I miss something? There's a Star Trek movie which has to do with a a thing called the Nexus. Completely ridiculous. I don't know how I'm getting off on this right now. But there's this thing called a Nexus that a person uh, died and went to the Nexus. And then the entirety of the movie is because of the fact that they were wrenched away from the Nexus and they were trying to get back to it. Their whole life was nothing except trying to get back to that one thing. And I oftentimes think if we could but see heaven one time, That's the way we would be. Our entire life would be about trying to to get right there because it is such a wonderful place. Listen to what Jesus said about it. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And, And that's just one thing he mentioned about heaven. It's this place, a real place. We have family and friends and loved ones who we ought to want to take there with us. It ought to affect everything about us. Do you really believe what Jesus taught? Do you believe what Jesus taught about hell? You know, hell is one of those things that uh, doesn't get preached about a whole lot anymore. One of the reasons that I like preaching through a book of the Bible, and some of you may be tired of Mark by now. We've been in it for like 40 weeks. Uh, Some of you may be tired of that. But I like preaching through a book of the Bible because it forces us to deal with things. Guess what's coming up in Mark chapter 9? Hell in all of its glory is coming up in Mark chapter 9. Let's just read a couple verses. Look at chapter 9, verse number 42. And you can be chewing on this while we're waiting to get there. It's a few verses away, so we're not quite there yet. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maim rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. He talked about hell. Talked about hell. If we believed that, the same way as I said, if we believed about heaven, it ought to change our life. If we really believed about hell, wouldn't we do everything we could to get people out of it, to keep people out of it? Luke chapter 16, he described it even further. Do you really believe? You see, everybody has to decide what they believe about Jesus' teaching. Every individual has to decide about what they believe about his claims on them. You know, he claims some things, not just about mankind as a whole. He claims some things about you. He claims some things about me. Yeah, everybody has to decide what they believe about that. Do you believe what he said about you? He claimed to love you. Do you believe that? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We sang it all the time. But do you really believe it? He loves you. He loves me. Nobody has ever loved you more than Jesus loved you and loves you. Greater love has no one than this, he said, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And then he did it. He loves you. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end, John 13, 1. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest. Jesus loves me. I listened to a presentation some years ago by a Christian counselor. And he observed that many who come to him for counseling have as their major stumbling block one thing. They just can't get their brains around the fact that Jesus loves them. That God loves them. And I wonder how many stumble right there. I wonder how many just can't believe it. They just can't believe that he loves them to that extent. But he does. And that's just one of his claims about you. He also claims to be your sacrifice. He claims to have taken your place, died in your place, paid off your sin debt, died as your substitute. Do you really believe that? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21. He also claims our allegiance. He expects us to follow him wholeheartedly no matter the cost. And we'll see that next time when we look at verses 34. In following, do you believe that Jesus Christ is deserving of your all, everything you have? Do you believe it to the point of giving it? See, every individual has to decide about his claims on their life and whether or not they believe. Every individual has to decide about his way. Jesus said that his way was exclusive. It is the only way. Do you really believe that? you really believe that? That's why I have a problem with certain things that come out from time to time, that water that down. Certain things that come out from time to time, and I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about, that, uh, have, that would say to us that uh, there's many ways to heaven. There's not many ways. And we have to decide that. And it is a dangerous thing when something, whether it's for entertainment value or any other reason, is put forth that says the opposite, because some people will believe it, and they will die and go to hell believing that. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Every individual has to decide what they believe about his way. Now, I would say here that even though Peter made this wonderful confession and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he also kind of stumbled a little bit right there. If we kept reading, and I think we did read a little bit further, if you read verses 32 and 33, you'd see that he uh, he did believe Jesus was the Messiah. He did believe he was the Son of God. But he also had this preconceived way, or preconceived idea, I mean, about how that was going to happen. And Jesus said, no, there's only one way. It's the cross. And anything other than that, I want you to notice he called him Satan. Anything other than that is of the devil. There's only one way. And we have to decide that. So who do you say that I am? That's the question. The question that he asked his disciples, and it's the question that he asks you. Do you believe everything that he said? Do you believe that he was and is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he is the only way? Who do you say that he is? There's one final thought I want you to just, just mention briefly, and then I'll be done and we'll sing. You see, some questions could be answered in a purely intellectual way. Paul is a mathematician. He likes to talk about math. And a math question, for example, is just a simple mental exercise, right? It's, what's two plus two? It's four. I mean, it's, a, it's just a mental fact, right? There's no emotion to it. Dates and times of history can be described in purely intellectual terms. But this is not that kind of a question. The question that Jesus asks here, who do you say that I am, goes far beyond mental assent. This is a life-changing thing. This is a transformational question. This is answered from the inside out and changes you from the inside out. And that's how you can tell if you've ever really answered this question. Are you changed? Did it make a difference? Did anything change after you answered that question? Are you transformed? Is your life affected in any way now? My Bible tells me that uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So did anything change? You see, Peter was never the same. Peter lived a a life transformed for Christ until he was martyred on a cross. As the man who at one time said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so I ask this this morning, and I hope you'll all think very hard about this question. Who do you say Jesus Christ is?